Hey everybody, welcome to episode 10 of the Combat Chain Podcast. I am your host, Adam Philipchuk, alongside Pat Shaw, and uh, how's it going today, Pat? Adam, it's going great. Uh, I have been deep in the lab the last week uh, playtesting for ProQuest, and I've decided to come out of my cave tonight to uh, record with you. I had mentioned uh, last week that... um, the last episode, rather, that uh, I think Katsu's days were numbered, and uh, I was going to emerge with a with a different main deck uh, coming into Pro ProQuest, and I was leaning towards Captain Planet. But it turns out uh, I have found a new love, uh, and his name is Viserai, the Runeblood. <laughs> uh, he is amazing, uh, and I have been playtesting every night for the last week and few days uh so i you know i have a limited window but i've been able to uh through the good graces of uh my boss the wife uh she's <laughs> she's allowed me the time uh every night to uh to play test so i have uh built up uh i've i've built viscerai i've started to tech it out developing a sideboard plan and i've been putting it to action as much as possible i've been doing things like trying to uh you know set play test goals what am i trying to accomplish here get familiar with different different lines of play uh the various strategies you know being able to execute successfully an otk turn uh you know optimal lines developing uh, as many rune chants as possible things of that nature um, and I've been able to play in games and armories and actually start putting wins together, which is something I really needed to happen for my own sanity. Uh, I, re- I really needed to, to know that it wasn't just uh, because I took Briar out to play for a few weeks uh, in the winter here that was really encompassing a lot of my success. So even though Visrai is like a, it is a meta deck. Uh, I've been able to put together wins. I played in the uh, debut Tavern Brawlers Armory event Saturday night with Viscerai. Ended up going four and two on the night, making the top eight. Nice, nice. Um, It was classic constructed, so it started at 8 p.m. Eastern, and the top eight quarterfinals wrapped at 2 a.m., and I decided to call it there. Uh, At that point, (laughs) I... I, uh, I probably I felt good about my chances with everybody else uh, going into going into the semis and potentially the finals, but I just I would I would have lost my 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 marbles at that point. I was already almost at the point of delirium. Um, I did have an interesting path going into the top eight. There, I opened up uh, with a matchup against Starvo, and that was actually my first real like paper matchup with starvo and i went into it with an otk plan and needed to pivot because i just wasn't developing enough rune chance my life total was getting too low so i had to pull the trigger early and then pivot into an aggro plan and everything was hunky-dory until i uh uh i miss i misplayed on the pivotal turn i i did not make the rune chance that i needed to like i missed the rune chant activation like the rune oh, chant trigger shoot. for Viscerai. So 
Um, and I had, it was like, I came in with like a swarming gloom veil for like two rune chants, four go again. It was like my third attack on the chain, but I didn't make the gloom veil. Like I didn't make the rune chants from gloom veil and, right. uh, it ended up like it cost me the game and we, we ended up going to turns. Like it, it was a grind fest. So we ended up going to turns and, uh, Adrian was my opponent. She's from Australia, I believe. I'm sorry, Adrian, if you're not from Australia, um, <laughs> But on turns, I was active player. I did my thing. I did not kill her. And uh, on her turn, she super dominated an oak and old with double fuse. And I was like, I don't, I don't have an unmovable on Arsenal, so you win the game. Uh-huh. Uh, but I, I did go. Uh, I then won three straight in a row uh, after that, and I lost the last round of Swiss to the Mirror to Ogar. Uh, so we've Ogar and I have now split. We're one and one in the Viscerai Mirror matchup. Um, and then I faced Jimmy Lee in the quarterfinals. I beat him once in the Swiss. So I faced him in the quarterfinals against his, his Bolton. I love Jimmy Lee and his Bolton deck, and uh, but I, I was happy to get get one over on him. Um, and uh, I was on Monday, played the Fighters Guild, uh, stuck with Viscerai. I wanted to still get the work in. So I just kept with Viscerai. Turns out Viscerai is pretty popular in Blitz too. Yeah, he I is. actually wasn't. I was not as aware of that as I probably should have been. Um, so it was interesting to see, uh, and ended up going uh, four and two uh, on that night. And uh, I did have a winning in match in round six, of the Swiss against. Uh, who was that? Who did I face in the last round? <laughs> I believe that was you and me. Oh! I got my vengeance, though. I got, I'm got i 0-2 lifetime as far as uh, uh, games on webcam. It's, uh, I'd have to go way back into the annals of our uh, the gem account to see if I've gotten you before. But uh, you got we've me played once or twice a- before. Uh, I, I, I do know that. I started... I started keeping track on Ira, so I was 0-2 going up against you from that point. So I was happy to get one against against one no. of the top players in Canada. I believe you know, actually I believe amongst uh amongst yeah, total games we played, there's one more that I can think of where uh uh it was either it was a Fighters Guild game as well. It was either uh, a winning in or it was like first play first round of the of the the top cut um and you took that one so uh I, you know I, now, now that you're saying it i think i remember that i think i do so you've got that but match yeah, too so, so your record's one right. more than you thought you had i think that puts you two one ahead two. of me two and two two and two um yeah, other than that, uh, so I, I've also I've just been playtesting wherever I can. I'm either on TTS, like we have our, you know, we met each other in the playtest group. Yep. Playtest yep. group has a bunch of incredible players on it. Uh, they put me to shame. They're just so good, right? And just being able to uh, get my ass kicked in that group feels, I feel like, I'm better for it. Like I can go out in what I call the wild, right? I can just pick up a game on the main discord or something like that and feel very confident in my ability to win that game, regardless of the matchup. So I'm now, now that I'm getting into, so my pro quests are this weekend, right? I've got, yep. I got two pro quests, one Saturday, one Sunday. Um, 
really be gauging my my metal here in terms of you know where I stand in competitive flesh and blood uh and it'll it'll be interesting. I get nervous as the days get nearer. I want to make sure that I have I feel like if I have a sound game plan, a good sideboard um and the reps in on the deck, I I should be in a position to do well. Um and you know, we had talked a little while ago about my goals and things like that and I still want to um it would be really great to to win a pro quest and and guarantee my spot into a pro tour um but i do have my i have goals of being in the top eight in both the pro quests um and uh you know i'll just say i'll i'll be disappointed if i don't make the top eight and i'll be happy if i make it into uh either the semis or the finals there so uh it'll be it'll be interesting and uh yeah, and I'm getting ready for it. So even as, as as soon as we stop recording here, I'm I'm going back to it. I'm either gonna I've I've got my deck next to me. I've got TTS up and running. So once we're once we're done here, back back to the grind. And uh, like I said, I'd like to thank my wife if she's listening. She I told her I told her basically I needed every night for the next two weeks when I told her, or else. It was going to be a big waste of time to go to the pro t- pro quest because I was just going to scrub out anyways. And she was like, "Well, we can't have that, can we?" And she's, <laughs> "What do you, What do you need?" I was, "I need every night for the next two weeks." And she said, "Okay, thank you very much, Ashley. Love you very much." Well, that's great that you've been able to get in the time. Uh, certainly, uh, Flesh and Blood is a game that rewards those who put in the time. So it makes it makes a huge difference. It really, I've. I was feeling very, I was very feeling very inconsistent with my gameplay. I was feeling just bad about myself as a player, and a lot of that came down to the fact that I just wasn't, I was not playing the amount of games that I knew I needed to, and it was creating a bunch of feel bad moments. So, w- one thing that needed to happen was I needed to pick pick a deck that I had a realistic chance of winning with, and you know, Katsu wasn't it. So. You know, we I had to settle on something, um, and we'll get into it a little bit here. But at, out of my choices, um, one was way too complicated for me. One felt awful to play with, and one Goldilocks it right up and felt very nice. And so I've been I've been running it into the ground, and couldn't be happier for it. Good stuff. But yeah, that's me. That's me. How about you? Trying to get in my testing when I when I can here. Been unfortunately busy with some other things as well, so that's been taking some of my time. A couple odd events here and there. Played in the uh, Fighters Guild with you on Monday night there. Had the ended up going three and three in that one. I had the the winning in for top eight against you, and yeah, uh, I was on Kano, and it just couldn't quite get there uh, at the end of the day. I got some early damage on you, and I thought I was going to be able to come in with the rest. Uh, I ended up taking a whole bunch of damage for a turn that was not uh, not uh, quite worth it. I uh, should have preserved the life total a little bit more. Uh, you ended up uh, having it there. Let's see here. I've got my pro quest coming up as well. I haven't been so lucky as to be able to play in one yet. Um, I know some of those... Um, uh, there's some pockets in the States there where they've been playing back-to-back pro quest Saturday and Sunday... Uh, the past two weekends uh, i'm quite jealous of that um there are guys that have already so you know like matt folks is is in the group there 
guy plays eight pro quests. Max Thomas is in there. He plays, I think he's he's up to six pro quests right now, and still took down the kitchen table CC league and ran the fighters killed the night the next night. He's the maniac. I don't know. I I don't understand how some of these guys do it. Well, I mean, and it helps though when you're when you live somewhere where there's a, a gazillion pro quests within just a couple driving hours of you. Uh, I know mm-hmm. for kind of ge- geogra with the geography out where I live, the closest pro quest aside from the one in my hometown is three hours away, and then after that, it was ten hours and then twelve hours. Whereas, like. For Matt Matt Falks, I'm sure it's two or three hour drive is you know his furthest oh, yeah. pro quest, and he li- lives in a place where everything's a maximum of two to three hours. Yeah, no, <laughs> he's he's got to go to the next Shire. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and play one. So so that I don't, that, I don't mean to just randomly shit on mad folks no <laughs> no but he, it's a great example because he like in the uk they're they're very densely populated and it uh it's quite it's it's quite easy to attend i think uh, a lot more uh pro quests mm. within a, a smaller area um i know even like the guys out in ontario here in canada uh they have a lot more to play in uh than i certainly do um it, they're it, that that's just the way it is um there are little hot pockets that you can live in for flesh and blood um, all around the world uh, that are mm-hmm. better for attending events than other places. And um, yeah. yeah, it'll be interesting to see if new hot pockets develop over time or um, if people just, as they want to try to develop careers in the game, if they just have to move to those areas. Um, that mm-hmm. Only... Good point. Yeah. Only time can tell with that. Uh, but back to my uh, my Sorry, past. I'm terrible. I just drag you right. No, it's <laughs> all good. Right it's down. All good. <laughs> I think that was about it, though. For for kind of what I've been up to lately. Uh, mm-hmm. I certainly. So, oh, go ahead. Do you have? Do you have? Do you have a good feeling about what you're going to play? Yeah, I think you so. To, you don't have to. You don't have to put the secret sauce out there. I'll, I'll you, say. You, I mean, comfortable where I'm you're at. Probably somewhere within like the 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 triad of decks that have been topping uh, lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, what the, the the top three are 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 Prism, Starvo, and Viserai, uh, and I think I'm somewhere mm-hmm. within there. Yeah, I mean, we have seen and we we have seen some other heroes kind of uh, poke into the top eight more often than I think we expected. Lexi's got a few showings. Uh, I think. Kano's got a showing or two. Dash has been doing not bad. You know, th- those are some contenders right away that um, that help diversify what's going on right now. But certainly, there's a uh, uh, a few culprits you, that have been dominating the the meta. I'd say. Are you coming in with a rogue rogue brew? No, no, I don't think so. No. <laughs> All right, fair enough. No, uh, there are better deck builders out there than I am. Uh, mm-hmm. I like to tinker. I like to to test and play around. But uh, at the end of the day, if I know there's something better out there that I can run um, and I can get the practice mm-hmm. in with it, uh, I certainly uh, am probably better off doing that. I am uh, I am very much a pilot and not a brewer. 
but one of my strengths is that I can take I can take a list and a guide and execute it well. And so that's what out of if I took nothing else from the playtest group, uh, an effective list, some discussion about how to run it and a guide to go to go with it is like one of the best things that can can happen to me. It, it was actually one of my level up moments was <laughs> um, uh, when I originally found Katsu to be so playable because Steelfer produced a deck tech video that had a, a well thought out and defined sideboard that I could translate into paper. And once that became a thing, I was able to put put wins together because I it started to make sense. Like I, I can understand like why the cards are there, but I would never have gotten to pull out like, you know, this single card to replace this single card and the ratios and, and all that stuff. I play a little too way too intuitively instinctively, intuitively, one of those words. I play too too off the cuff to to kind of get into the into the weeds with the math and the ratios that these guys do. Um, but I do I do play a good flesh and blood game, so <laughs> gonna yeah. Gonna take what I can certainly, being able to to run the math, understand the numbers, uh, is a strong uh, a strong skill that not everyone possesses, and it's not something that's really widely spoken of either that's a thing is it's it's something that uh you understand and uh that that knowledge is kind of almost protected uh sacred. yeah yeah it's it, held is, sacred. it is it is right if you can if you can do the math on the like if you can do the ratios you're you're a level above and i think that's that's one of the difference makers there those those guys that can can brew the meta deck, get the ratios to where they need to be on their own, and take it take it out. Can those those are the guys that show up with a deck no one expected and blows out uh, blows out the competition like Tyler Horsepool or you know Tariq Patel before it got leaked. You know those guys come up with these completely out from left field, but really now you know. To, to to play devil's advocate though uh, i do know in the case of like tyler horsepool and his list not to to downplay uh his accomplishment uh he uh he admitted to testing every day of the week um where he could for quite a few weeks before going into that calling and it sounds like quite a bit of hard work was also put in there um and i i think there is something to be said about uh being able to um to to not only understand the ratios, but then be able to put the the work into practice the deck and see if it actually works and to go back mm-hmm, and tune mm-hmm. it in that back and forth process until you actually get it right. Um, yep. That alongside being able to like make strong meta reads mm-hmm. goes so far into being able to, to spike events as well. Absolutely. All right, Adam, let's talk about some news. Ding-a-ling. Yeah. The news. The news. Uh, let's see here. Let's do a quick little rundown of the news. Uh, we have uh, we have the Comprehensive Rules 2.0 coming out. Flesh and Blood has released an article, the Back Alley Oracle, that gets in depth with uh, some of the rule changes, uh, and they are significant. And uh, I'll say that we'll get more in depth on those uh, in a future episode because they do warrant, I think, a, a fleshed out discussion, and they do 
change the game a little bit and they do it in some significant ways so uh, i look forward to having that talk with you something just to to highlight is those rules aren't in effect yet uh they come in effect on march Mm -hmm. 14th uh so currently we are still operating under the comprehensive rules 1.5 currently so um you don't believe am i i might be talking out of my butt here but um i think that are the proquest events exempt from that Oh, Pro- did I just make that up? ProQuest is done before Comp Rules 2.0 comes out. Oh, okay. Well, then they're definitely exempt. They are exempt. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Continuing on, uh, James White had an interview with uh, the French flesh and blood content creators whose names I can't pronounce. Adam, can you pronounce? You- I don't need to pres- presume your Frenchness by your Canadian ship. Can you help me out? L'Oedophidia. Oh, so beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so uh, James White had an interview with... L'Oedophidia. Where he discussed uh, a myriad of uh, different issues. They had a very... They were very blunt with their questioning. I did watch that interview, and uh, they did not pull any punches channeling their inner Matt Flakes, uh, if you will when doing it but uh james did have some tidbits uh to release uh adam do you, you want to talk about some of the stuff that he he brought up yeah so james white uh he's been hinting some things lately uh probably the big one is that we, we we've already gotten a spoiler that uh we're gonna get pro tour number two uh we don't know specifically when or where but he hinted sometime three months after uh pro tour number one and he hinted hopefully in europe uh so three months after jersey puts us roughly into august i think he also hinted uh at some reprints um some foreign language prints he didn't as far as i know he didn't give us any specifics in 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 what reprints we might see did he do we know if we're getting like e-strike command and conquer um i am i am paraphrasing but i believe he said that uh at least the french players would have no issue getting their chase cards in their language that's interesting Ooh, I might have to get myself some French uh, fab cards. That'd be fun. Um, and he did also hint that the releases coming out in those languages might have uh, some neat things exclusive to to their country. There, really? At least I think I think that's what I heard. That is that is super interesting. But yeah, so it's definitely, I mean, if there's if there's a Pokemon Go-esque collectability where you can you can only get certain cards from a certain region and a certain print, uh I don't know if Pokemon Go is the right reference for that, but it, enhanced collectability is always good without having to kind of manufacture it, I suppose, but being able to put in something for for a select group to open and just have a limited amount that might not necessarily be uh, also like a chase card where everybody's got to get that specific one, uh, I think is a, is a great way to enhance collectability now, in uh, Flesh and Blood. I, I got to wonder, though, so does that mean we're going to see like French Arcane Rising, French Welcome to Wrath, or 
Does that mean that's, that we're going to get future sets that are going to see, you know, E-Strike and Command & Conquer get reprinted, but we're going to see those sets in the in, in the alternate languages as well? I got the impression that, it, that Re- Welcome and Arcane and Crucible would get at least their cards printed. I don't know if they're going to release, like, the set sets, but okay. James White was was saying that those those cards would be readily accessible and he had uh, i believe he touched on first edition and in unlimited in a way but he he kind of he was kind of vague about that we know that they're potentially starting to go away from that model um but he had he had he had intimated that they would have no issues getting their all their cards in from those sets all right that that's huge news though um and um, yeah definitely accessibility in especially in different languages across the world bringing player bases up it's all it's all good things yeah yeah it's going to be uh fab is is only going to keep growing from here i think um i think so too the commentary team for the calling indianapolis has been announced and we will be having tan and grace who you'll recognize from previous broadcasts uh, Brian Gottlieb, co-host of the Arena Decklist podcast and broadcaster for SCG Tours, and Craig Campbell's, uh, those three guys will be on the uh, the casting team. Um, in addition to that, we have some new locations for new events that were recently announced. We have the Calling Taiwan, and we have the Battle Hardened Dallas recently announced events taking place. Yeah, good to see um, that LSS is giving more opportunities for people to uh, get into the pro scene. Um, I think we're absolutely. In- they're really. I think the more the more the merrier. I'm really hoping for. Obviously, there's a bunch of world events that keep happening that could potentially affect how many you know large events people can hold. But um, you know, Flesh and uh, LSS had announced in the beginning of the year that the roughly 30, 32 callings were going to be happening. And, uh, that was really exciting at the time. And, uh, as many as they can fit into a schedule, I think is good. Get people in there, play the, the, the grand prix structure was very popular. Um, and by all means they should be, I think capitalizing on that. Yeah. hundred percent. More events they can run the better. Um, and it's you know access right play the play the game have access to these competitive environments this is where you go to test your metal all right so uh after the locations uh i think that does it for the news adam you ready to talk about the main topic yeah uh this week on the pod we kind of we're about halfway through uh pro quest season now uh going into week three here and we kind of wanted to talk about uh what's going on a bit uh the triad as we are starting to refer to it uh seem to be dominating uh for the most part the pro quest meta and when i say the triad i'm referring to uh three particular decks viscerai prism and starvo Within that, uh, we want to look at those three top decks, uh, talk about uh, what makes them tick, uh, how to play them, and uh, maybe how to some some ideas to, to try to beat them. Why don't we right off the top uh, get into uh, 
Starvo, uh, Bravo star of the show. Uh, Starvo's kind of the the nickname the people. Nickname. There we go. The yeah. nickname uh, people have come up with for him to not confuse him with uh, Bravo Showstopper. Ah, uh, what what a drop off that guy had, huh? Ah, you know what? If you look between uh, you know at top eights for ProQuest between uh, Bravo Showstopper and Bravo Star of the Show, um, there there are quite a few top eights, but it's definitely Starvo that seems to have the favor right now. But I I gotta wonder how much of that's even um, Starvo being better versus just Starvo being new and shiny, and that's what people are choosing to play right now as well. It does bring an interesting point. Bravo Star of the Show, I think, is easily the most represented deck uh, of the three. Um, it has uh, it has the highest appearance overall, has the highest top eight numbers, and the highest uh, win conversions from that. Um, and it is just, it shows up in numbers. It was... Bravo Star of the Show, I think, followed a similar pattern to Briar. I have my hot take is that I I blame the players. I don't know if I blame the deck 100%. But, you know, we we had talked about the Captain Planet variant being uh, released. And when that happened, it went viral as much as a flesh and blood deck can go viral. Everyone is still, is still playing uh, Starvo. And for good reason. I mean, it does... It does well, and it does what it does. Uh, you know, it does what it does super well, and it uh, it wins games. It's I, I know when Starvo first got teased, uh, the big question was how consistent is he gonna be, and I think that's right away where Starvo or Captain Planet, the Captain Planet uh, version of Starvo shines, is the fact that he's built for consistency. Um, mm-hmm. Starvo, part of what makes Starvo unique is, I wouldn't say, yeah, is he's got access to the biggest card pool, uh, of any hero in Flesh and Blood. Uh, not only does he have all the Guardian cards and the generics, and, uh, he's got access to the Bravo specializations, but he's also got access to all the elemental cards. And mm-hmm. that's, in fact, kind of what's gonna fuel him, is, uh, it's, it's, because his ability is you reveal at the start of your turn you reveal uh an earth card an ice card and a lightning card and that gives your next attack attack plus two dominate and go again uh which when you slap that on top of a already seven or eight power attack uh and then you uh follow up that with the the, a hammer for four or for six uh depending on what you're doing with them uh it's 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 a lot of damage, um, but Captain Planet in particular, uh, like I said, he's he, he's looking for consistency, and he's really built around just having a steady flow of all the element cards, so that he can fu- I guess yeah, f- fuse as people are saying, uh, fuse consistently, uh, and not so much presenting these huge crush attacks or these big crippling turns, but just very heavy consistent damage to the point where you can't ignore it yeah and it's important to to uh recognize that while it is right it people calling it fuse because it's easy but it it's a reveal requirement at the beginning of the turn and the difference being is you can use the cards that you reveal to pay for the attack that you want to use while fuse you cannot do that or you have to pay the cost you have to you have to pitch your card and then you have to have a card in hand to fuse I was um, today years old 
when I discovered that the uh, the attacks that cost three uh, benefits, the plus two dominate and go again, are the abilities of the entwine cards when they are fused together. So Bravo Star of the Show is actually entwine everything at once. Oh, I never, uh, I never picked up on that. I did not either. I was not actively looking for it, but I was surprised when I saw it. And I was like, yeah, you know, that makes all the sense in the world. Yep. Yeah, it does. Um, but yeah, so the question was at the beginning that, you know, how consistent could it be? Um, I think a couple of things help it in its consistency. One is, is the, you know, we talked about the ratios. Um, it is heavy into each the lightning, ice, and earth cards, um, but it also carries all three pulses. We talked about a huge yes. card pool. It is the only is the only hero that can do that, and having a pulse in hand is uh, one of the best things that can happen to you when you're playing Starvo. And one of the other things that helps its consistency is its uh, newfound access to Crown of Seeds. Crown of Seeds. Um, is arguably one of the most overtuned pieces of equipment in the game uh, and uh, has been consistently the MVP uh, of Oldham players uh, from the last last meta and now Bravo started the show uh, really really uses it to um, to filter right it's a hand sculptor more than anything else uh, but I think without without crown this deck is probably not nearly as top tier uh as it is but crown really makes makes that engine go burr yeah yeah and not only does crown make the engine tech uh crown is just it has utility in so many different directions uh dealing with breakpoints uh making command and conquer less uh crippling uh being able yeah, to cycle one of, cards one of the um i'm sorry one of the uh, the biggest things uh, that Crown of Seeds has going for it is that right Command and Conquer is becoming completely out of vogue. Uh, in fact, uh, of these three decks here, uh, I think I might see Command and Conquer in one of them as a sideboard card. Um, but other than that, uh, I think it's really lost its effectiveness Uh because of Crown of Seeds, it's certainly become less of a must or of a of an auto include in every deck, and more of a tech card now. You know, you still run it in your. Mm-hmm. You know, it's great when you want to pressure the arsenal still. When you want to um, pop heralds in prism. When you want to um, really pressure the arsenal in the ranger matchup. Like, there's a lot of different things like that. So, um, mm-hmm. Command and Conquer is still going to remain the the powerhouse card that it is, but it's. Yeah, it's not that auto-include anymore, um, mm-hmm. which is, I don't think, something anybody expected Command & Conquer to, to, to become. Like, everybody was running that card in mm-hmm. every deck mm-hmm. for a while there. Yeah, yep. It was like Oko. Yep. Yeah, that's, yeah, like, yeah Oko is a, a great comparison. One of the, uh, one of the other um, the main features of the Captain Planet deck is the uh, devastating unhits that come from cards like uh, Crippling Crush and Oak and Old that for some reason is not an Oldham specialization, 
But uh, most decks run three of each, and if you combine that with a an ability that gives it plus two dominate and go again, you are coming in with some huge damage, most of the time unblockable. Uh, to the you cannot deny its on hit or crush effect, um, and you still have a follow up turn with. A Winter's Whale, that if you pitch correctly, is still going to come in for a Frostbite. You have two devastating on hits uh, in a turn where you can get those off. Yeah, and like Oakenold Fused uh, on uh, a Starvo activation is getting plus four. That's uh, huge. That's so gross. And, and the fact that... And it's a hit. It's not a crush. It's yes, a hit. Yes, the fact that it's a hit makes it that much better. Like, only one point of damage has to get through for uh, for its hit effect to be relevant. And to block a full 11 on a dominated attack is not easy. And that's kind of where Starvo then shines, is with the... The the between the the pulses and just the ability to to have these huge turns, um, Starvo uh, on top of if you build him well like uh, Captain Planet uh, or something like that, he just generally has the ability to high roll. And um, if you're high rolling in a certain percentage of your games right off the bat, then you know a strong deck built on top of that, um, it, that's just going to poise to do well. Yes, and you know when it's. If you take a list that's that's well tuned, um, you can be a relatively new player. Pick it up, and it's easy to learn and it's easy to play because you are you are just drawing your cards and looking at what you got, and you either you either have it or you don't. <laughs> now and you can just go from there. Are you looking to set up five card hands with Starvo? I think you're. I think you're looking to set up versatility using your arsenal i don't think you're necessarily needing to set up five card hands but when you are they're special all right i i think your five card hand is your pivot turn because you're not going to crown a seed then so you really gotta you really gotta want it and i think you have to be guaranteeing uh, a second hit uh, at that point i think you're only doing that probably if you have a crippling crush with enough uh enough behind it so that you can crippling from arsenal do a thing you know maybe maybe you have a channel like frigid into a crippling crush using your tunic into a winter's whale or something batshit like that um to really make it worth it otherwise i think you're mostly good with a uh, so like Ogun holds a three cost, right? Usually you're coming in for a three cost attack with all the bells and whistles on it. Um, still being able to pitch a card, so you pitch one card with the attack, pitch another card for Winter's Whale, and still arsenal a card. Um, but I think for the most part, you are using that arsenal as a mechanism to sculpt your hand, and not necessarily a a the five card hand right that makes sense now what about uh any other big points for piloting it anything else um that needs to be kind of covered for 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 winning with it i do think so because of the wide card pool it does have the sideboard is filled with equipment 
right? It is it it, it is running more equipment than than most blitz decks at this point. Um, and I think that's where the matchups can be won or lost. I think stalagmite is showing up in, in bigger numbers than people initially thought. I think people yeah. kind of undervalued that shield, uh, going in. Oh, it's um, so good. But it's, it's really that frostbite matters. The frostbite. So if you have stalagmite, um, you're, you're not only have a three block on your offhand as opposed to, you know, you know, you can run run Ram's head and have one block over time, which will generate that block value given enough opportunities to. But you have Instalagmite automatic, not automatic, but you have three block uh, on the on it, and you have two frostbites, um, and that becomes super important and can stifle the the right opponent. Uh, completely in their footsteps and can actually save you not just blocking for you know blocking for two and creating a frostbite is actually closer to a six or seven life swing uh, depending on where that frostbite comes into play and that is huge and the um, you know one of the one of the downsides of of starvo is the quality of cards uh, in hand to actually defend with if you need to you, so your equipment it becomes all the more important to help uh you know pivot if you need to because you can you can be into situations where you you have not and you need your equipment to to execute your plan but it um yeah so so the card quality is is poor right lots of two blocks um I think it's important to recognize that I th- I think it's safe to call this Captain Planet build an aggro build because it really wants to attack, 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 and it does not want to block. It will take damage, and it will gain tempo through the devastating on hits and not through blocking. I think one of the worst things it can do is dump its hand out uh, and slow everything down especially with the with the inefficient blockers uh you're apt to get uh you're you're apt to leak damage through in the right build and um stripping their hand can can stop them right in their tracks um they also can just have awkward hands right you you can whiff you can you can not hit a reveal not hitting the reveal sucks it is just not it is not fun to have. You may end up only hitting uh for with a vanilla blue earth card for five or a winter's whale with no frostbite on there. One or the other, not both. Um and hopefully arsenaling a card that in your next turn cycle, your in your next hand, might be able to be used to start clawing your way back. But if your opponent, uh, you know, smells that blood in the water, that's that's a, a time where they could definitely pounce. Yeah, yeah. The moment they um, they figure out you're trying to set up that five card hand, that's when they uh, try to. That's that's mm-hmm. when you should be trying to push, get them out as much damage as possible, force cars out of hands, yep. uh, relevant on yep. hit triggers, uh, things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you know that they can't crown, that's that's your time. That too, yes, that too makes a huge difference. 
Um, it's a uh, ubiquity and representation in the meta has made uh, red unmovables pretty popular these days. Uh, yeah, which we haven't seen since kind of Dorinthia. Yeah, I think uh, in in my experience, most like Katsu still ran them, um, but it's because because he needed to. Uh, every once in a while, you'll see unmovables kind of show up here and there. Dash control. Likes to likes to have them in for certain sideboard, but the uh, you know unmovables coming in coming in against uh, them is uh, is becoming more and more popular, um, and being able to block eight out of arsenal is super important. It is the only way you can stop the Oakenhold uh, from coming through if it hits if it if it gets. I called I called it the super dominate, right? If it hits if it's coming in for eleven, the only way that you can prevent that is if you have the unmovable uh coming in from the side uh, in, from the arsenal rather, uh blocking for eight and then blocking for three on top of that. Yeah, block with the card from hand. Uh that's a huge block. It is, and that's that's a uh that it takes a lot out of you, but it does save you save you some cards. Well, and I guess at that point if you're giving up cards either way, but it's saving you yeah, the, the, the chunk of health so that then later yeah, on you can still... take a hit and still be able to execute your turn. So what do we um in in the with the other two decks that we're talking about as perspective, where where do you think it stands in terms of uh facing Prism and facing Viscerai? I don't think it's the strongest of the three. Um, I think it can high roll effectively, and if you're not ready for it, it can catch you off guard. But I think the unmovables uh, can really slow it down. Um, and I think it's something, it, it's a deck you can tech for, and it's a deck you can race. And um, I think people still need to be kind of trying to tinker with it if they really want to see it become the number one deck. Yeah, I do think it has a. Uh, I wouldn't call it a, a prism free roll, but it really it does not do that well uh, against prism right now, and it just doesn't go. It just it doesn't go wide enough. Can't take out the auras quick enough to uh, prevent prism from establishing its dominant board state, and it can get overwhelmed. And I think uh, viscerai in its OTK form. Uh, has a really good matchup against Bravo or uh, yeah, against, against Starvo. And they, if they can get their, if they can get their rune chance out quick enough, uh, then I don't think Starvo stands much of a chance. And they got to hope for uh, a bad, bad Sonata out of that. Yeah. Look for their play to their outlook for their opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some, so it is evolving. We talked about it. You, you just mentioned that it does need to, you know, upgrade some, some of its, uh, some of its tools to remain effective. Uh, there, uh, recently, uh, multiple pro quests, uh, were one with Starvos that have started featuring Channel Mount Heroic in various forms. Uh, I know Sean Bavia. Oh God. I'm sorry, Sean. Cardboard Dreams, uh, f- Manager of the uh, Team Kitchen Fable uh, won his pro quest, and he was preaching the benefits of Channel Mount Heroic. And a pro quest in Minnesota was won. Uh, I believe the card guys hosted a deck tech um, with the winners, or the winner of that deck 
uh, from that ProQuest. Um, but they also use Channel Mount Heroic and some uh, Briar-esque generic two, uh, four attack, zero cost, like Scar for Scars in there uh, to to get it get one over on people uh also you'll see um uh variants featuring earth or bounty that aren't the like more traditional type still just putting in earth or bounty and playing things like tome of harvest to get the seismic surge tokens um and having the ability to block a little more than the tunic uh seems to be becoming more and more popular and pummels I think Starvo with Pummel is scary. I think the in the weird world of flesh and blood math, the cost of a card to add on to play a card to lose a card. I don't know if the math ends up working out exactly right in terms of like tempo advantage, but plus four discarding a card is gnarly no matter what. And if you can throw that on top of a 13, uh, dominate go again on top of a crippling crush or uh, no you know yeah. that's uh that's mm-hmm. pretty big yeah um so our next hero is that we're going to talk about is uh prism sculptor of light the variant that has been winning the most uh is something called uh has a nickname called 27 auras because it runs 27 auras it's a lot of auras yeah <laughs> it is a lot of auras nine of those auras are the or I should say 12 of those auras are complete playsets of the new Everfest auras, the, the complete rare cycle that we had uh, previewed in our YouTube video with Az from Go Again Gaming. Hashtag shameless plug. <laughs> um, and uh, Shimmer of Silver, the Majestic uh, Blue yep. aura there as well. And it turns out they're all really, really good. And if you throw that in with your Mercifuls and your Arclight Sentinels and your Odes and your Parables, uh, it turns out you can generate a ton of value over time. And you're still throwing in uh, not as many Heralds, but you're still throwing some Heralds out. And you still have a Herald of uh, Erudition that you need to deal with. And you're still going wide. You're going wide in, in a slightly different uh, manner than I think people are used to. You're, like, you're, you're still attacking for one a bunch of times, but this time instead of a massive amount of spectral shields, it's a bunch of auras. Yeah, no, 100%. Uh, the other thing, too, is that uh, with all these auras, it you can just get so much value uh, and, and in the... In, develop so much board state um it really chokes the opponent out of the game i know opponents will try to deal with uh if you can double aura them and they try to deal with an aura they're actually they they, quite often they they have to waste more time dealing with two or three auras over the course of uh two or three turns than actually just going straight to face and that makes it that makes it really hard for the opponent to keep up in 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 any long game um now the the cost to all this is uh prism does have to lean on her life as a resource a bit more um these Mm -hmm. these auras cost there's a cost to playing your cards and that's taking the hits and um Mm -hmm. you're often going to lower life totals in order to try to get enough auras out to actually stabilize the game in a way by stabilizing the board state and 
that that does become a risk um if you get it caught in the late game and you don't have the right tools that you need to kind of keep yourself alive uh on say like a dominated attack or something like that it'll cost you yeah and i think um one of the per- perhaps unintentional consequences of playing with so many of these new auras is that they are not uh they are not light illusionist auras they are yes. simply illusionist auras the default setup these days is actually running Findel Spring Tunic and not Vestige of Soul. And taking out Vestiges of Soul means that your your cards now probably cost more than you might be used to paying if you were running Prism before. Um, and you don't have your Tome of Divinities uh, to, to really rocket you into the stratosphere uh, when they those go off. So you're not... You also aren't running Halo of Illumination to set that up so that you can Halo, you know, Halo, turn on Vestige, pitch, tome, 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 uh, into, you know, 80 billion angels flying at you for the win. Yeah, you can't, you, you don't have the ability to high roll your opponent anymore. And that's where you really have to rely on locking your opponent out of the game otherwise. And it, it's through those double auras and through choking your opponent out of the game through board state. It is also, uh, in my opinion, at this point, probably the most complicated deck to play right now in classic constructed i think so too and i know for a little bit people were arguing that viscerai might be the most complicated but i think now that uh people have viscerai a little more figured out the lines have become a little more clear and it comes back to prism where it's now you have to make these decisions like what's more important to me developing board state or trying to like keep my manage my life total or trying to push damage and it's the decisions are a lot less linear than say starvo or viscerai where it's like all right i Mm -hmm. i know my goal here is either to block or to push damage if i'm facing prism what am i doing to win the game at an early, if you're able to keep the board clear of auras, that's probably the first place you want to be. Um, there is this delicate tipping point where you, in the early, like as as long as the board state isn't gummed up, like you are trying to stay on top of auras where you can, um, but you are trying to be mindful of the fact that that prism is trying to double aura you and trying to lock you out, and you do have to be mindful of there is going to be a tipping point where you stop caring about auras and then you just start caring about going to face. So mm-hmm. recognizing that tipping point in any given game is is very important right off the bat. Um, the next thing that's really going to be beneficial uh, is trying to just go wide on Prism, uh, trying to set up uh, lots of attacks, uh, lots of pressure. Um, you want to pressure their life total. You want to pressure their hand. You want to essentially not give the Prism the the time of day to set their stuff up. The, the more time Prism has, the happier Prism is. Um, yep. If you are also, you know, like an OTK plan is no good against Prism. Uh, yeah. Prior to Everfest, Viscerai, for example, actually had a very poor matchup into Prism because Viscerai was simply trying to OTK and that gave Prism all the time in the world to do what she needed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Now that Pris- or Viscerai has the tools to be more tempo and more aggressive uh, effectively, not to say that Viscerai couldn't be aggressive before, but he can do it so much better now and he can, he can clear Spectral Shield so well and present 
huge amounts of damage plus be able to deal with uh, a spectra at the end of the combat chain and that is mm-hmm. that that's probably the hardest place for prism to be um is under that kind of pro under that kind of pressure there are a couple i, I wouldn't say variants at this point i guess so but it does seem like there are a couple things happening as prism is moving along the meta one is that people are i think people who are accustomed to the vestige of soul and tome interaction miss it and are trying to slot it in without taking out all of their new auras um and just trying to make it trying to make it work with a higher variance and there is i would i would call it a resurgence of the traditional prism pre-everfest prism build uh patrick weiss just took one to the finals of uh, of a pro quest last weekend that um was your traditional light based herald attack you know build uh that we're all we're all used to and i think there's i think especially right now there's plenty of room for that kind of super aggressive uh, build. I, I don't think people are actually be expecting that if uh, if you're going to be playing Prism in your pro quest. Yeah, um, I think the, I mean, the more heralds you go, um, the more damage you can push, but you then run the risk of the whole Phantasm trap. And if you run into a bad matchup, you're 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 toast. You don't win that matchup. So yeah. I I think twenty seven auras is probably the place to be if you want to play Prism right now. But to be wary of the fact that it's it's not an easy deck to play. Uh, there's still a lot of uh, questions that are unanswered with that deck. People don't know what's mm-hmm. best. You know, Vestige versus Tunic, or you know, Halo versus right. Skullcap. Uh, both have their arguments um, you know even running cards like Genesis uh, if it you know on the turns where it ticks off Genesis is great but I think Genesis is probably a trap right now in the grand scheme of things with the amount of non-light cards yep. you're running so yep. uh, there's a lot of things like that to consider with Prism and I think those are all things that just make Prism a really hard puzzle right now and I do think facing Prism I think it's important to know that not every single one of those auras is important there are some mandatory, like get off the field auras, uh, but it's not every single one. So being able to chip away at their life total and take out the important auras and shorten that clock becomes uh, super important. But wait, essentially wasting your turn trying to take out an aura that in the long run doesn't have that massive effect on the game, um, I think is one of those... Uh, you know, it as you as you play test and and understand the matchup better with your deck in particular, you'll you'll see that you know you know even coming from coming from a aggro viscerai perspective, I don't know if I even care about the first merciful retribution depending on where their life totals is uh, are at the moment. If they if I've been consistently pressuring them. Um, and they haven't been able to develop many shields, then Merciful Retribution is going to have a much less, lesser of an impact. But I am more concerned about the those lesser auras that I didn't hit if Ode to Wrath comes onto the battlefield, for instance, and they can 
start doubling their their damage at that point or shimmer of, of silver being unaccounted for and you know dawn blading me uh every turn you know those are the things i'm really watching out for i don't know if um passing mirage is something i'm i'm gonna look to take out immediately i will say haze bending i believe is the one that creates a spectral shield it is yes yeah is is probably one of the best cards in the deck right now yeah and yeah haze bending is is a pretty powerful one but even at haze bending i found is one of those ones where i'm like sometimes i want to take care of it other times i don't um mm-hmm. you know if they have a bunch of other auras i'm looking to clear haze bending is probably one of the first ones yeah. i want to get rid of but if, if yep. they've only got a haze bending on their own and they're not really putting out any other auras i'm happy to leave that haze bending alone all right i think that uh that rounds out our, our prism talk now we're gonna we're gonna end the triad talk on viscerai rune blood yeah and viscerai viscerai got a huge upgrade in everfest um huge all like right off the bat one of my favorite cards of the entire set revel in rune blood um the conditions so good to to meet this card aren't as hard as i think people initially thought it might be and if you can, mm-hmm. if you're, when you're playing uh, Revel in, in Viscerai, it actually creates five instead of four. Uh, so mm-hmm. that, that right off the bat there, uh, Sword comes in for nine, uh, uh, right off the base. You mean, you mean to tell me that you've never had to Revel initially just for the non attack action and created no rune chance? Oh, I certainly have. And then it, it's a feels bad when you have to do it then. But you're you're not looking to play Revel um unless you can meet its condition, I think. Um and it's a card that I'm happily gonna arsenal to to have a bigger turn later. That's just one of the big cards that um at the viscera I got. I think a few of the other really big upgrades, uh swarming was one of them. Uh Rune Blood oh, Incantation great. is another yep. one. Incantation is great. And I think one of the biggest upgrades is Vexing Quill Hand. It is so good. I will tell you what, if you combine uh Revel and Swarming Gloom Veil with incantations that are non-attack actions that give go again and still develop rune chance vexing quill hand in the aggro plan is amazing it is i i it is the default for me now so i run viscerai right i my main plan is the aggro plan vexing quill hand is my main equipment when i go aggro vexing quill hand creates two rune chance which if you equate that to the resources of the discounted uh, attacks it can can discount up to two attacks. You can you can create uh, if you have a Mordred Tide, it creates three rune chance. Um, you can potentially break your skeleton. So even on the aggro, you can make three rune chance and break your skeleton. Yeah, you can break your skeleton and have uh, your next non-attack and attack be discounted for three. And when you're on the aggro, you're not you're not looking all the time for that Sonata plan. But being able to play uh, Rattlebones for free into uh, Spellbleed Assault, and it, you know if you have that Rattlebones as an instant, you gain that action point coming in with that uh, Spellblade Assault with the, with the additional action point all for free, and being able to follow that up with other stuff is is like huge. Huge, huge, huge. So I think Vexing Quillhand provides more value through the Rune Chant generation at that at, at that one time than Grasp does given your given your clock. I, I kind of equate that to 
uh, like a heart and cross trap versus tunic right. uh, in in Katsu, where that that explosiveness one that explosive one turn ability I think has more of an impact on the aggro plan than your your longer incremental value turn and the three block because we're talking about taking out Grasp of the Arc Knight, which was um, basically one of the most auto include uh, pieces of equipment until vexing quillhan came along and i do think even vexing was was severely undervalued initially uh coming from everfest because it didn't block but it does carry arcane barrier one and like i said it it has as an action you can create two rune chants and it has go again um it, it just has it has a lot of utility and it can be one of those things that tips your, you know, you're, you're trying to have, like, you're on the aggro tempo plan. You, you're you trying to chain these attacks together and, and get that going. And um, your late game will be involving popping the vexing for those rune chants and using them in some way. You're, very rarely are you just adding rune chants on the end of an attack. You're amplifying for less you're rune flashing for less you're breaking your skeleton right in for for value for more than you thought you were going to get uh initially right and if you tie that in with mordred tide those numbers are growing uh when you do that um it also enables that uh pivot from from one plan to the other right you're on the aggro you're generating your rune chance and, and all of a sudden you need to maybe you do need to Sonata, right, and a semi-OTK kind of plan, and Vexing Quillhan is the one that gets you, I think, over the hump there, especially with that Mordred, right? That three rune chance is is going to be huge, yeah. Um, if you need to pivot there, um, so for all those reasons, love love me some Vexing Quillhan. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's something I haven't experimented with yet, but I can totally see its merit based off that. It's definitely something I want to probably put a little more uh, effort into then, uh, try around a little more with. I do think, um, so Viscerize, I think strength comes in its versatility, right? We're talking about a transformative sideboard plan. We're going from, so I would say my build right now is uh, main its main board is the aggro tempo and it sideboards into the traditional OTK. And that OTK setup uh, allows for the generation of, you know, you're looking to generate 25 ish rune chance in that like, right 20 plus rune chance, um, play, break your skeleton and play a huge Sonata, get a bunch of, attack cards uh into your hand deal a bunch of damage from sonata and come in with lethal right you're gonna present 40 to 60 damage uh in a in a turn with that otk and that should be enough to kill them in one turn or one turn kill right otk yeah um but like you were talking about, traditionally that otk does have some pretty bad matchups right you're gonna let people set up you're gonna you're gonna let them uh do what they do um, and sometimes that doesn't it doesn't work out, right? If if you play into their own game plans, you're 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 going to be hard up to find that find that victory there. But OTK now does have some very beneficial specific matchups. Uh, I would Starvo for one, right? OTK is probably the default for how you would play Viscera into Starvo with your best chance of winning the game at that point. Full of defense reactions that can help you block those attacks and. 
Um, and then playing with your life as a resource, you can take some of those hits, especially in the vanilla attacks. You can save your you can save your armor that does block uh, to help you pivot, and you can turn on to uh, the OTK uh, against Starvo. Vice for, uh, alternatively, uh, the aggro plan does play play into Prism very well. The Prism Aura's build has a hard time against. Uh, against uh, Visrai Agro right now uh, for all the reasons that it, it had issues with uh, like Katsu pre-Everfest. Uh, you know, it, uh, Visrai has, has, now has the ability to go wide, to go wide in creative ways um, and keep auras off the, off the field, keep shields down and, uh, and really, really chunk away the life total of Prism and really have to work hard to, to get that board back. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's though that versatility is where I think Viscera is poised to um, really shine in our current meta. Um, mm-hmm. He's got answers for pretty much every problem, and I, I do think Viscera um, is still a solid pick going into week three of uh, of ProQuest. I I hope you're right because that's what I'm doing. You're committed, <laughs> huh? I I'm all in. I don't have uh I don't have the capacity to try. I tell you, I I have all three of these sleeved up, and the one that scares me the most is Prism. I can't I can't play it. I can't do it <laughs> to save my life. I I do I couldn't even begin to think about the optimal lines on there, and there's so many. And playing with like priority on the steps. So, you know, we had touched on comp rules too. One of the things there is it added, you know, added the stack and added some more steps into where where priority is being passed. So the combat resolution is is or damage resolution, I believe it's called, is one of those new steps. So like after it's after you've attacked and defended and reacted, there's damage resolution, which happens before damage calc. You could pass priority and play things. And you can play at instant speed in that in that priority pass, and a lot of a lot of people are doing that to just play with, you know, manipulate uh, you know, go agains and you know, creation of auras, things uh, things of that nature. And it's just that's one of those things where it's like the optimal line is to is to play this card during that resolution uh, step, and it's like I I'm still trying to learn what that step is, and then you're <laughs> stopping the game. I would like you to stop doing that. Yeah, that's uh, and that that's where yeah, Prism is is uh, quite the tricky puzzle right now because she just has so many decisions yeah. to make. I will say when it comes to when it comes to Viscera, it is uh, it is incredibly complex. Um, even when you think that you have a good turn, you're likely to you have to get the reps in to know what the optimal lines are. You still might be able to be da- dealing you know twenty plus damage on a turn. Um, but you might actually have 30 plus sitting there. And um, I think one of the reasons I love playing Viscerai so much is that I play with some pretty janky play patterns. And what Viscerai enables me to do is get super creative and do things that might not seem like the correct thing to do, but it actually enables me to extend the combat chain and chunk away more damage than people might be used to um you know i i love to break skeleta at odd times um you know it's it its ability is an instant so uh you know holding on to that rattlebones 
longer than someone might expect and not use creepers. You know, have the arcane break Skeleta, uh, come in with Rattlebones as an instant, still be able to have creepers in coming in as an instant if I have the ability to do that. You know, being able to grab those attack actions out of the graveyard, uh, you know, you can do things like close the combat chain, reuse your attack, right? Swarming Gloomvale, you can close your close the combat chain, put Swarming into your graveyard, Rattlebones, get it back, uh, you know, play Swarming Gloomvale again, uh, you know, just just crazy things like that. And as many times as I can swing with Rosetta on top of all that, it's even better. Yeah, I really like I really like Viscerai. I don't know if that's coming through clearly, but I do I do love it. And while we're talking about my love of Viscerai, become the Ark Knight. It's demonic tutor. It's whatever. It's it's your sixth ninth copy of whatever the hell you want. Um, if you have become the Ark Knight, you can really start setting up your turns. And if you're missing that one card. Right, become the Ark Knight can be whatever that card is that you're missing. Maybe it's pitch, right? You can you can get a blue attack that you can then pitch away so you can get the resources. Or it if you're all attacks and become it's Sonata when you need it the most, or it's Mordred Tide. It's you know, it's whatever whatever you need it to be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now what about the the, the downsides of Israi? How do you beat him? You don't. My matchups are <laughs> all good. No, um, you can definitely. It's vulnerable. It's vulnerable to to disruption. So uh, if you're playing like Starvo, Starvo into Oakenold, taking cards out of hand, right? If I if I'm not set up for the correct plan, taking taking two to three cards out of my hand is gonna is gonna ruin my day. And if I lose tempo on the aggro plan, then um, I got to work real hard to get it back up and I got to wait for you to have a downturn. But at that point, that's where you can start establishing your board states. If you have, you know, I'm not a great blocker. If I have to use my equipment early to stop you, then I don't have that late. And we've talked about how important that is. So, uh, you know, sometimes prism, even though, you know, I like my matchup against prism, uh, sometimes they come in with a herald followed by another or a herald of erudition, Followed by a Herald of Erudition, right? And I committed to blocking the one, and now I don't have enough to block the other. Um, you know, and bad things happen, and I can get high rolled, and I can get blocked out. Um, you know, I, I think it does have, I would say its matchups are probably a little more iffy with some of the, I'd say, off-meta cards, right? It, uh, aggro is aggro. And, you know, Briar plays into it well. The mirror is very interesting. Um I pers I I personally like how I how I match up on the mirror, but it's definitely um, a matter of who gets who gets what cards first and who has who has that better overall game uh, when it comes to that. Right. Um, but you can also like one of the biggest things is is you know especially in the competitive levels is misplays, right? Like you can you can play the deck wrong. And it and it punishes you for doing that. Um, I I talked about my you know my first round uh, match Saturday night where I missed my rune chance and that 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 legitimately cost me the game. Not not tracking that and uh, stuff like that can hurt um, hurt a lot. And you really need to play tight um, and get those get that damage in where you where you can because you actually don't have a lot of 
um, you don't have a lot of on hits. You're you're looking for there are one or two things in your deck that um, that have an on hit effect and and matter like swarming gloom veil when you've generated enough uh, enough auras that turn, which isn't every turn, right? It, you're you're very rarely actually coming in with uh, swarming f- with uh, having generated the three auras. Uh, there, you're usually coming in for four with go again, and that's kind of your your ideal situation. Is you know a four with go again that costs zero, um, and you still have to set it up in order to just like you you have to play a non you know a non attack into swarming to just get the first that first rune chant going to get that three go again, and that feels that feels worse a lot of times, but a necessary evil uh, to get going. And variants, right? We we talk about um, um, the OTK plan. Um, one one way to lose the game is to set up for your OTK, break your Skeleta, play Sonata for revealing twelve, and hitting two attacks. Right, <laughs> right. That's once that's done, you're done. If uh, also going OTK, um, if you lose. If you lose, if you're losing life too quick and it, things get clunky, you're not generating a rune chance fast enough, um, or you have your rune chance but you're not exactly where you need to be and you got to pop off early. Uh, you, you can pay for that. Everyone's that's where you're really hoping the variance is on your side because popping off early, uh, especially when you're on OTK, is is usually bad news and it requires some some real savvy to be able to pivot into. Uh, at that point, you have to go mid tempo, you know, aggro to get that uh, to finish that game out. If you have to pop off early, and something, and that doesn't happen every time. Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, that. I guess yeah, that's probably the the bulk of where I find too when I'm on Viserai. Um, it, it's not so much I lose to my opponent; it's that I lose to my deck. It feels like sometimes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Definitely. I do like it. I say that it does Katsu better than Katsu does right now, which is why I, I think I'm on it. This, I think the aggro, um, the aggro plan for Viserai is dangerous. It's mixed arcane. It's mixed damage. It is consistent and can overwhelm your opponent super quick if they do not have Null Rune um, or some some form of arcane barrier. It is free damage. Uh, coming through and it is very easy to set up 40 arcane damage quickly uh with viscerai quicker than you might expect um and it's and it's super explosive and it, it's like it's right up my alley which is why like i said I'm, I'm you know i'm waxing poetic about it but um I, i'm really enjoying the deck of where it is right now no it's certainly in a, a probably the strongest place i've ever seen viscerai be right now um and i think viscerai is going to remain to be uh uh, a force to reckon with for the the time being uh what about any uh any dark horses for for our uh our meta uh do you have any of those currently well i do see a lot of chain um tariq patel uh introduced a chain list into uh into the everfest meta uh through channel fireball in the armageddon series and uh he posted his his exact 80 and said he was going to take it to the pro quests and then he won uh pro quest with chain uh it is showing up it has uh a good matchup um against 
uh, it has a good matchup against Prism. It has a okay matchup against Starvo. It has, uh, the, I think the biggest thing it has going for it is um, Carrion Husk, right? You need that You need that equipment to block and pivot, and uh, six block on your equipment is uh, is real, real good. And uh, Oh, yeah, when ahead. equipment typically blocks for one or two, blocking for six is, uh, just on one piece of equipment is huge, and that can be enough to absorb when your opponent tries to pivot. And I think that 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 alone poises chain to be in a really good place still heading into week three of our of our uh, of our ProQuest season. I certainly wouldn't count him out. I do think um, I think chains RNG can kind of hurt it. Uh, I know there are some great chain players out there. Uh, I am not one of them. I actually tried. I picked up Tariq Patel's list and I played it. Uh, I'd say thoroughly. I I took some time. In the beginning, the beginning days of of my playtest lab uh, incursion here, um, I started with chain, and I I was like, this is it, this is what I need. I have a here's the sideboard guide, right? I talk about I'm 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 that pilot. Give me all that information, and then I started to play it, and I was like, what the hell am I doing? What is happening? I hate all I hate this. Um, the the biggest things for me was I I clearly I think was shackling incorrectly. Um, but, uh, there were games where I was banishing 30 cards without like, and seeing four blood deck cards, maybe. Um, and that was, that was enough for me to be like, yeah, this, (laughs) this isn't necessarily for me. Um, but like I said, uh, there are better players than I that are piloting it and winning pro quests with it. Um, so I do think. I, I'm not ready to call it tier one right now. I would call these three decks that we just talked about tier one. I think chain is a 1.5. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it a two, but I think a 1.5 is there. Um, uh, the other rune blade that we haven't talked about yet, Briar, I think has more game than people uh, have given it credit for. I don't think Briar is completely dead, and it has. In fact, one uh, at least one P, uh, pro quest, and I'm pretty sure it's multiples at this point. Yeah, I mean, I have thought that right off the bat, Re- Revel in Rune Blood seems like a good card for Briar, uh, just an extra four points of damage uh, that I think Briar can set up quite easily uh, for free is really good. Uh, Swarm is another really good one for Briar. Uh, so Swarming Gloomvale, I should say. So I think Briar did get some okay tools as well. Um, I think people just haven't explored her as much. Uh, Viscerai and Chain seem to be just a little bit more powerful than she is right now, mm-hmm. from what I can tell. Yep. Um, otherwise, I do think um, Reinar is poking his head through. It seems like uh, Reinar has a 50-50 matchup with everybody. And if you are a good Reinar uh, pilot, you can ride that right into a top eight, into a pro quest final. Oh, um, easy. And it, and it and it's been done. Uh, at, I know several Reinars have top aided, and I do believe at least one just won a pro quest last weekend. Uh, Reinar did get some interesting tools uh, in Everfest, and I think they're starting to show up. Uh, you know, swing big uh, is turns out is usually just coming in for eight. Not a lot of people want to block that out and get that quicken token. Uh, I thought they might like that a little more, but turns out committing a lot of cards uh, to blocking one attack is not that great 
Also, uh, Lexi is really coming up, and not just Ice Lexi. There is a there is some aggressive Lexi decks playing some Art of War and Rain of Razors and attacking for forty damage, just crazy numbers uh, coming through, and that's that scares me the most. Uh, I I honestly haven't seen what those lists look like. I don't know if they're super hybridy, if they're trying to get frostbites as well. Uh, I've always been scared of Ice Lexi myself. Uh, I'm not so much scared of her in in Viscerai, but I still have to respect her. Um, but that uh, that aggressive Lexi, I think, is definitely something to watch out for. Oh, for sure. And I've always thought Lexi can Lexi can push some big damage. Uh, she's um, she's a force to be reckoned with for sure. And uh, old reliable Dash, I think, is is. Uh, I think dash in the right is I think dash is a meta call and in the right local meta it can win. Oh, easy. And uh you know, it, and it's set up with things like dissolution sphere um to really knock you know, I I've played a few dashes um in my playtesting and dissolution sphere sucks to be a part of like it just everything screeches to a halt and if they can if they can put Exodia together uh, while you're waiting out the dissolution sphere, that, that's, a, that's you're gonna have a bad time. Um, you know, being able to uh, dissolution sphere is one of those things that may cause you, in fact, to try and change your game plans and pivot into you know if you were OTK into Dash originally and they put that dissolution sphere out. I mean, if if the clock is running short, you're gonna have to pivot and start getting some vanilla damage in there. Uh, and uh, chunking away their life total so they could put some, have to force some cards out of their hands so they're not just loading up the pistol for five every turn now. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, it's it's a real it's a real problem. Um, I do think Dash has, I, I think what we're, you know, of of all those, these decks that we're talking about there, I do think they have some pretty substantial deficiencies in at least one significant matchup and i think that's what's preventing them from really going over the top i don't know if that's a you know if that's a tech issue or there's just some there's a undiscovered game plan here that's going to send them over the top on one of them that would make them rise up to that tier one level but they're definitely they're on the rise um i think they have good enough matchups into some of the decks where if you can avoid whatever your bad matchup is um then you have a pre good ride into your uh, your local pro quests uh, through there and i didn't even add this to the list katsu is showing up katsu's there baby there was a lot of <laughs> katsu naysayers at the beginning but i think yeah katsu's a little bit better than people are giving him credit for though there was one that just won a pro quest and i looked at their list and it's nothing i haven't played before i was very very happy about that uh anything else on the uh on the kind of ProQuest meta as we see it right now, any other tidbits, observations, or anything? I, I'm I'm not sure if this is a unpopular opinion or not, but I I like it. I like where this meta is at. It is, um, it is distinct. It has different decks that do different things. It not their Bravo is represented the most. I think we can both agree that Bravo is n- probably not the the best deck out there. It is it is the popular deck out there. 
Um, out of the other two decks there, um, I I would say the debate's probably out on Viscerai and Prism, depending on what you're playing, who you're playing, and all those things. But that's what makes a healthy meta, right? You you have you have a deck that's super consistent and will do things and and mess up your whole day in Starvo. You know when they hit triple Oak and Old into Crippling Crush, and sometimes they win, right? And that's consistency, and they win. Uh, Prism is your your super fancy complicated deck that manipulates uh, things at instant speed and outvalues and generates a dominating board state over time and can overwhelm your opponent and rewards your ability to handle these complex decision points and and find those little intricacies there and viscerai is handling the kind of versatile attack role where even you know even the combo the otk turn is really about setting up your attack lines and it's it's filling that aggro role very nicely uh with its main plan and going being able to shift into that uh, otk plan allows for the versatility um to to really handle a wide array of of matchups i will say i think one of one of the things we didn't didn't necessarily talk about too much on on the viscerai side is um you had mentioned that the um you know people are starting to become aware of of the you know of the lines you know these days and i think one of the things that could potentially hold viscerai back is that it is it is a tight deck it is it is what it is and you do not have a lot of room for variant for for new stuff and for trickery. You can add it in there, but by manipulating the deck a little bit off of of where it is, um, can really I think change the face of it, and maybe not for the best. I've seen some things in there trying to throw some razor reflexes and stuff in there, and I. I really don't know if that's the way to go, but I think those are, that's attempts of people trying to add wrinkles to it. Um, but there are a ton, a ton of awesome Runeblade cards. I think before Bravo started the show, Runeblade had the deepest card pool, uh, but I do think that this this iteration of Viscerai does not have a ton of room for creativity outside of where it's at right now and i think a lot of a lot of what you're you're gonna see is teching out what are your worst three cards can you make this into something else and do something else but i do think that the you know 55 to 57 main board and your your sideboard for the most part are pretty well configured where they are yeah, no, I, I'd be inclined to agree with that. I think, yeah, uh, ultimately, Viscerai's biggest downfall is the fact that he can, uh, he's susceptible to like taxes and hand disruption and things like that. Mm-hmm. And and that's kind of what's going to be his downfall, I think, more than anything else. I, th- I, I think it's interesting that there's like, there's zero warrior representation in this meta, as far as I can tell. I've seen a couple Dory axes showing up. Um, here and there on ProQuest, but I don't think they're making an impact. I think that's kind of sad. I think they were looking to... I think LSS was trying to make a push for some uh, a, a warrior upgrade of some sort. I think they achieved that in Blitz, but I don't think they got to where they uh, want to be quite yet in the Classic Constructed. Um, yeah. But I always, uh, I always lean on the fact that I think... Uh, 
I, I believe wholeheartedly that LSS thinks that we're playing the game wrong <laughs> and we're all dumb for it. And they have, <laughs> they have the, they, they have the, the spiciest tech decks, uh, hidden behind the veil that makes Dorinthia S tier and just no one's, no one's doing it right now, you know, and, you know, in insert, you know, Azalea, right? There's, there's one guy who, one guy who made Azalea work into a pro quest, um, but uh, I'm pretty sure somewhere like Jason Chung has like the Azalea deck that is <laughs> that that kills the rest of the decks and actually won the internal championships down there. <laughs> but we just we we're not there yet. Yeah, that's what I think. That's my that's my tin my tin hat overall <laughs> conspiracy thing is that LSS thinks that we're all idiots because we're not playing the game right. Who knows? You uh, you could very well be right, but that's that that's one where only time can tell as we keep uh, exploring the game and trying to figure out decks. Uh, maybe maybe Azalea has got something that we don't know about yet, and it's just a matter of someone tinkering till they figure it out. You gotta pummel the battering bolt. Oh, there it is. Pummeled arrow. They finally gave you one. No one's using it. <laughs> Anything else? I think that's it. We're going to save the level up moment for next time. Um, but I think that's that's all I got. What about you, Adam? I think that's everything. Uh, that's uh, episode 10 in the wraps. Uh, as always, thanks for listening. Uh, you can listen, subscribe, stream anywhere uh, podcasts are streamed as well as on YouTube. Uh, we are working to get to 100 subscribers on YouTube, and we've got a, a little giveaway to go along with that. At the 100 subscriber mark, we're going to be giving away uh, some sleeves, some Game Genic deck box, BCW sleeves, uh, Game Genic deck boxes, and uh, uh, a uh, cold foil data doll. So, uh, some pretty spicy stuff there. Um, you can also find us on Twitter. Uh, Pat is at Pat Smash Good. I am at Fom Toolery TCG. And uh, we're also at the Combat Chain. We are, we are just a, a hair under halfway to 100 subscribers we yes we're 49. so close we're so close we're getting there well until uh, next time i think that brings us to the end of the episode and uh yeah until next week we're uh closing the combat chain, combat chain.